So I see flashlights coming into the bedroom window mm-hmm. in the middle of the night, and I wake him up, mm-hmm. and he looks out. They really do like, that. Oh. They really take it in the middle of the night. Is it always the middle of the night? I've just... <laughs> I've never had a car repossessed before. I don't know. <laughs> host of this podcast, Al Anonymous, which can be streamed anywhere for free, uh, Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes. Uh, If you are listening on on any of those platforms, it'd be great if you can subscribe and review. It would also be great if you could subscribe to my Patreon. It's patreon.com slash alanonymous. And for a very small fee, monthly fee, it's reoccurring. You can get merch and love notes from me and pressed flowers that I press myself and stickers and anything else that I feel like sending you guys that month. Oh yeah, I just got a bunch of rose quartz crystals. So yeah, subscribe to the Patreon and enjoy this episode. Welcome to Al Anonymous. This is my podcast. It's a lifestyle podcast um, about recovery and mental health. And I have an amazing special guest here today, my first corporate boss in <laughs> New York City, has joined me, Victoria McCuey. Would you like to say hi? Hi. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for accepting my, like, Instagram, <laughs> chaotic uh, DM. But, um, I'm so proud of, of you for doing this. This is a great platform and it's very, very much needed, especially right now. And um, I'm happy to help in any way I can. Well, I could say the same about you. It, it's funny that we are both copywriters and now we kind of do a similar helping people and also being super charismatic at the same time. <laughs> but Victoria, um, you are a professional life coach and your specialty is, do you want to describe your- Sure, yeah. Um, I, I help people who are struggling in a, nurse, in a marriage to a narcissistic spouse or already engaged in a divorce from one. That is, yeah, wow. Um, so, well, the reason it's um, it's such a necessary niche for life coaching is, um, you know, I, there are divorce coaches. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty well known thing. There mm-hmm. are a lot of divorce coaches. It's different um, than a lawyer, for, right? It's different than a lawyer. You don't have to be a lawyer, and there are whole schools teaching people how to be uh, divorce coaches. Um, but the thing is, divorce from this sort of personality is different from every other divorce, you, you, there are pitfalls and there are unique struggles and there are so many other types of frustrations and, um, layers of abuse in the court system or, or just in the contention of the divorce itself that the, the victim is, has been abused 
emotionally, psychologically, verbally, financially, or maybe even physically, and is really compromised. It's not a level playing field. So it doesn't work the way regular divorces work. So when it comes down to the divorce, it's even more difficult. Right. The dynamic is so unique. What are... Can you describe some of the, what, what would make it difficult? Like what, what are these unique um, obstacles that you would have to? Well, most people don't, if, unless they've been in an intimate relationship with a narcissist, they really can't understand that is why a- you are reacting the way you do. Um, lawyers can get really frustrated with their clients. If you don't have a lawyer who gets the joke on these people, I mean, they know they've spent the whole relationship, you know, maybe decades, understanding all your buttons to push. They know you better than anyone. And they use that knowledge in a really maniacal, manipulative way. Mm -hmm. Um, They, they lie, they're pathological liars, usually. So you no one and they're also very charismatic they and charming very charismatic as a group and charming. Wait, so I just um, have a, a you quick, know and there are oh, sorry no, no i just have a quick question um yeah i was just arguing it's something that i think about often with narcissists do you think that they are aware that they're lying or they be, they really believe their lies this is something that i've been torn on i just yeah uh, is this podcast PG or? No, no, no. There, I have a little explicit thingy, so feel free to be candid. Okay. So when I was in mine, I had a lawyer in a dep- my lawyer in our deposition of my ex-husband mm-hmm. wrote a note to me because it was her first time coming up against one of these people, and she, she it said he believes his own bullshit. Right. <laughs> like, right. Yes. So he, so they really do believe like they are. There's no convincing them. It, it, that is the most frustrating thing is that they yes. believe that they are a good person and right. like, and they're so charismatic and everyone loves them and they he buys everybody drinks and he's just like the the best host. Anyone just come right. stay over exactly. And yeah. then in a in a family dynamic, it, it manifests as he's the greatest dad and he's the soccer coach and he's like. The one who always, uh, you know, throwing the parties for the families and taking care of everybody else's kids. And, you right. know, like, oh, what a great guy. Right. Um, this right. is a covert narcissist. You know, nobody sees that ugly, ugly side except for you. Mm-hmm. And you didn't see it either at first or you would never have married this person. Right. Um, until the mask slips. Right. Right. And then it start. Oh, my God. Can I tell the story of how like, please, the first please, time? Yeah, there were no, so many there it. were so many red flags. Right. Yeah. Let's, that, yeah. Let's talk about red flags for sure. <laughs> <laughs> that I chose to ignore because um, I was convinced I was the luckiest girl in the world that this guy was even paying attention to me. Right. Because yeah. He yeah. Was like, right. He was just Classic. a catch. Right. Um, so when weird things happened, I looked the other way or explained it away or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really wasn't until we were married and we dated for two years. So it wasn't like a quick romance. It was it was long. And um, we, we were married and um, had a baby right away. Mm-hmm. And it was this one day I had this infant baby in my arms and we were going to look at furniture, I don't know, do some sort of shopping. And he got mad at me 
for really nothing, uh, just like a normal argument that couples have was no big deal. I, I couldn't even tell you what it was about. So we get to where we're going and I'm struggling with the car seat and the stroller and the diaper bag and getting everything out of the car. And I look over and he's like halfway across the parking lot already going into the store. And I start calling his name going, wait, can you come back? Cause I can't get the stroller to work or whatever. And he keeps walking. I keep calling him thinking he doesn't hear me. He totally hears me. Uh-huh. He's walking away. Like this was like, what? That's not normal behavior. Like it wasn't a big fight. It, it was. Just it wasn't a disag- any fight. It was just not a disagreement about something. Behavior. Not a big deal. Yeah. At all. Yeah. But I didn't immediately subscribe to whatever idea he had or opinion. Right. And that was it. He <laughs> left the, his wife and baby, baby. Yeah. in the parking lot. Yeah, no, that's not normal behavior. And it is <laughs> and you know, to an onlooker, it could ju- it could just seem totally normal like the this married couple, you know, they're having an argument, you know? But like Yeah. I mean, that was just the tip of the iceberg. But that was my first That was the first what? This is weird. Like, that's not normal. And uh, oh yeah. well, that's weird. But it's not anything to write home about, right? It was mm-hmm. just weird. Yeah. And then I, I just started seeing it constantly. So the mask started slipping. Right. Right. No, I remember the the first uh, red flag that I saw with my um, ex that I've finally become free of, like after so many years. But um, I'll never forget that he he we were. It's like one of the very few times that like he would introduce me to his friends, you know, as like more than just like this is a girl I'm sleeping with. But I was like telling this joke. I'm I'm funny, you know, I was like doing my thing. And he interrupted me to like tell the story better. And he also punched me in the arm so hard and just like started laughing about it. And all of his friends were, they were alarmed too. But yeah, that was the first time when he like punched me, like to tell the story better in front of people because he didn't just, you know, that was funny to him. Normal. Right. I mean, we all, I think we all hold on to that moment, like where we first, the light bulb goes off, like there's something yeah. not right. Mm-hmm. And of course your incident and my incident are nothing that you would like, Oh, that's it. I'm leaving this. this right. Yeah. Yeah. Idiot, I was like, right? he's, I was it's, like, he's it drunk. It's bad, like, it was... it's his friends. I, maybe I was overstepping like, you know, right. Just, um, giving him the benefit of the doubt over and over. But it's the beginning of the end because it just progresses uh-huh. from there. Yeah, no, it, it, it truly does. And, the 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 joke of it all is that they still don't know you know they don't understand they don't see no. it they are so delusional and it's yeah i i mean like i i was caught up with this person for so many years so many years while he had multiple while he was seeing multiple people while he had a fiance just like just to just keep me like on the hook you know and i I thought hating him would 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 help me get over it because like I don't know it's better than being a doormat and a punch a literal punching bag but I actually just started looking at him with pity like I just 
I pity this person, you know, is just That's never so going funny to that be you say a that because person. that is one of the, the strategies that I teach in my coaching. Oh, really? And, you know, your listeners, I don't know how many of them are aware of this sort of or have had a relationship like that. And uh-huh. if you haven't and you hear us talking, you're going to think we're like really overreacting <laughs> from the stories we right. told. But this is, we were just talking about the, the beginning stages it goes on to be really abusive behavior, verbally abusive. And like when I said psychologically abusive, it, that means yeah. You know, can gaslighting. We talk about, can we talk about when, gaslighting a little bit? Because yeah, I yeah, think yeah. that's a term that people throw around. And unless it's, unless it's really happened to you, it's, it's kind of like one of those things where it could mean anything, you know, but. Right, right. But let's, so but, yeah, let's it, talk about it. My, okay, here's, here's one um, where. Oh, there's so many. I have where do you, Okay, so <laughs> um, no one likes you. Like not like in a bullying. Like no one likes you. Like a, a childish way. But like there's a problem here because our kids aren't getting invited to parties because the other mothers don't like you. Like in a an endearing way. Like he wants to help. Right. It's like not true. Not yeah. true at all. Yeah. But you start doubting you your reality. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, like all these people are pretending to like me and he knows something I don't know. And you start like, so that's, oh, that's gaslighting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it comes from that movie where the husband is lowering the literal gas lights in the house. Well, because oh, I didn't know getting that. lowered. Yeah, I just, you know, <laughs> I knew about it, but I never watched it. It's like yeah, but it's just like to make this woman just think that she's going crazy and question like right, her surroundings right. and reality. Right. So she thinks that no one else sees this but her and that her, you know, she's going crazy with thinking the lights keep going dim. Yeah. But yeah, huh. crazy. I had a, not even a client. It was before I was doing this work, a, f- a friend s- tell me how hers hid her favorite clothes. <laughs> wow. In the attic. Wow. Yeah. And made her go crazy looking for them, thinking she, and it's like, you're always losing things. Oh my God. That is so (laughs) disgusting and horrible. It's crazy, right? Manipulative psychological warfare stuff. It is psychological warfare. Um, So when you've been through years, maybe decades of this sort of abuse, Mm -hmm being told things that aren't true and walking on eggshells is another term people throw around. And it's like, you, you literally don't know when the next shoe is what, going to drop. Yeah. Right? Like what, what am I going to do wrong? You know, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because it, and I tell my clients now, it doesn't matter what you do or don't do or what you say or don't say. Cause they're all always like, oh, well, if I say this, he might. And if I do this, he might. It's like, yeah, he's always going to do matter. that. He he has you convinced that it's your fault, but it doesn't matter what you do or say. It's it's he's always going to blame you. So stop second guessing. Right. It, it's so easy to tell someone that, but you know it takes this coaching takes time to undo years and years of damage, and it you know re rebuild their self-esteem yeah, re- which has been whittled away and that and that's how the the narcissist like wins until he 
there's nothing left of this person. Right. No autonomy. And the reason they do that is because they themselves, it's really all projection. They're, they're projecting onto you how they feel about themselves. That's, that's um, what I wanted to get into. Like what, what, what can, because that's also a question, like what would compel someone to do this to somebody, you know, someone that you supposedly love, especially. They have, they have no empathy and it's hard to even imagine that until you've lived with someone who has, and they can pretend to have empathy because they understand what it is and they know that they don't have it. So they pretend and mirror what they see in other people to yes, pretend, but, but they, deep down they really they can't legitimately feel. do not. Yeah. There's no way <laughs> for them to step out of them right ever right and it's so this is why like in a normal divorce you can appeal to the other person's sense of of fairness or of uh what's best for your children right you know all these things that normal couples can put their differences aside over right but when when this is right so yeah in addition to a lawyer and probably therapist you are the third uh trifecta you're it's like the trifecta right, right, right. Exactly. of how to get through this and the third leg on the stool yeah but what happened so here's my theory on how therapy works in here right you know right. there's there is no therapy for narcissism right there's I, no I was, therapy I was going there's to ask no is there a way to cure this <laughs> these men or people at people these there are women yeah Yeah. but is is there a cure like can these people be helped can they be stopped they they cannot they cannot be changed because they don't want to believe there's anything wrong with them they think they know better than everyone else they won't and a lot of times they won't go to therapy at all because Mm -hmm. they don't want to they kind of know there's something off about them and they don't want to be told that so they refuse to go um but what i mean is for even the victim uh-huh. therapy for the person being abused by the narcissist. There's only so much, right? I mean, in a divorce situation, a lot of people come to me after they've been to therapy, right? right. Because it's like, okay, I, I can't change him. I can understand it. But the therapy is sort of um, a great way to look back and figure out how, how they let this, this happen. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But it's not going to get you through a divorce. With no, anyone. no, that's that. Yeah, you're right. That is a totally different. Right. Um, so I, I tell people happen. there's therapy is great. There's lots of time to but, go heal. Yeah. But to get through a wounds. divorce. But yeah. when you're being abused, you need to get out of that situation. You need to get the divorce. You need help getting that. So this, here's my favorite. Okay. When someone says, well, what's the difference between therapy and coaching? I go, okay, so if you show up with a suitcase at the therapist's office, the therapist will say, let's unpack everything, figure out why you put these things in here. Okay? Mm-hmm. If you show up with the suitcase at the coach's office, the coach says, where do you want to go? And let's figure out how you're going to get there. Oh, right? I love that metaphor. <laughs> That's so great. <laughs> oh, my God. Can we talk about... I? Just just for, for any listeners, can we talk about, like, more red flags, like, at the beginning of a relationship, just as, like, um, you know, precautionary, just because it is, it can get so bad. A, a very good friend of mine is actually in jail for um, killing her abuser. Um, and you were it, telling me. 
Yeah. And yeah, can we just go over the just like the first signs and then maybe we'll talk about, you know, how how you how you yes. got out of yours, you know? And yes. Yeah. So um Unfortunately, I didn't get this one. It's a good one. I mean, it's the, one of the fun ones to have when you're on a pedestal. Like, and they, there's the love bombing, you know, the when they're bombing, trying to the suck you in. I didn't even get that. <laughs> the only one you might want, I didn't get. But that's a red flag when someone just is like All so of a sudden. completely infatuated with you. Yeah. I love you. Um, my my mother is going to love you. I I can't wait for you to be in my family. Yeah. They they want to be with you twenty four seven. You know it's uh-huh. so. I have some clients who are very with very very controlling narcissists who like they couldn't step out of the house. They couldn't make a phone call. That you know they were always um, under scrutiny. If they went to a friend's, he was texting constantly. You know, mm-hmm. so that's part of that like obsession. But in the beginning, it feels great. Yeah, no, it feels right. amazing. You're, you're loved. Right? And like, this yeah. person is totally obsessed me. with me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the love bombing. I'm sorry. Okay, so, right. And it's a, it's a cycle. But we'll get to the cycle of abuse later. But mm-hmm. so there's um, the, this infatuation obsession. Mm-hmm. That's a red flag. Right. As much as you love it, Not it's normal. A red flag. Not normal behavior. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, no friends. No old friends. Yeah. All mm-hmm. friends are new. They they rifle through. Like, they cycle through friends. No friends. Quickly. No friends is a huge one, actually. No friends. Yeah. Grandiosity. Yeah. You know, they're, um, everything's bigger than life. Yeah. Uh, the way they spend, the way they, <laughs> yeah. um, the way, yeah, the, the car the they cars, drive. The Porsches, the, the yes, yeah. The way they spend. The way mm-hmm. they spend um, and how they portray themselves, you know, better than everybody else, bigger, better, brighter, smarter. Always right. More talented. Like, oh, right. Yeah. Smarter than, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't want to get it too much into detail, but yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, the grand, um, yeah, the grand. No, no, um, no accountability, no sense of responsibility. Oh, right? yeah, yeah. That's a good right. One. They could be two hours late, but not a problem. You know, no apology. No, it's just you know that's they're busy. Mm-hmm. They're more important. I love this term. You might not get this in the beginning. I don't know if this would qualify as a red flag, but I want to bring it up because I thought I was the only one who had ever experienced this. They call it word salad. So you get into an argument or any discussion. It doesn't even have to start as an argument. Yeah, it's a discussion that spirals out of control 100% of the time. Every time you, you start a conversation Eve, even, it turns into an argument that spirals out of control and the narcissist will start just throwing things at it, like yeah. words and things yeah. that happened five years ago and something you said to somebody else. And, like, and the normal person is trying to connect the dots. Right. Like he's right. making a point, he's trying to, and you're like, okay, trying to figure out what does that have to do with this? There must be some connection. You're waiting for him to make his point and there's never a point. It just goes around in this crazy whirlwind of words. Uh-huh. And finally a normal sane person has to go. You're right. Yeah. I'm out. Yeah, I'm out. I'm done. Cause I, th- this makes no sense. And it's like, well, you see, 
you're you're admitting that I'm right. Exactly. Because mm-hmm. you're ending it and you have no comeback. Like yeah, no, that's comeback that's yeah. Me. Final word. Got it. Yeah. I won. Yeah. I win. Oh, and final word. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh boy. It's crazy. I, I I didn't see any of my friends when this like when I first started seeing this person and they all were like, This isn't normal, but it was just so hard to just get out of it. What can can you talk about like so many so many people are like, Why don't you just leave? you know? Why can't you just leave? If you're getting abused, why don't you just leave? And that I guess you discussed or you talked about how they just like whittle you down until you are you're walking well, because on no one else will ever want you and no one else will ever want you yeah yeah I mean I get it it's it's a lot harder when you are married and have children uh, yeah and right so did did he ever like get the threatened with like kids like custody of the children I, I i feel like that's definitely a thing that happens that's that's like the go-to. you'll yeah. never see the children again yeah 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 <laughs> and and because you're and people go like well you know that's not true but when you're in that compromised place when he has controlled everything um your thoughts your actions everything you you're trauma bonded in this dysfunctional way and you are programmed to believe everything he tells you. And when he puts that thought in your head that you might not ever see your children again, that you know he's capable of absconding with them, like of disappearing with your children. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're going to be on a milk carton. And you're just like, I can't, I can't even risk that. Right. You're desperate. And it, you believe the reality that he made for you. Right. And during a divorce, he has a lawyer himself, you know, which is one hundred percent of the time they will hire a lawyer who is just like them. Yeah, uh, yeah, of course, one hundred percent of the time. One hundred percent of the time. Yeah. I've never seen it any other way. They're not smart enough to know they need the opposite of their personality, right? Because they think they're perfect. Mm-hmm. So somebody just like them is perfect. God, that's so terrifying. And sad so now for you're, these people. you're doubly abused. You're right. abused by him and the lawyer mm-hmm. through the court system. Yeah. And does the court system recognize this form of abuse? Um, or is it is it just like a very you ha- you they have like hard, you need like hard proof? Because that's what so with my friend who is serving um she's trying to get her case appealed. I think she is actually, but um, she's serving 15 to life. The judge concluded that she had been abused, but it wasn't severe enough to justify the killing of uh, the guy. But I don't know. It's just like what, where, how much abuse is, and there's so much stuff that you can't see, you know? And exactly. So with this narcissist, like, the narcissist usually—it's—it's not—it's usually not physical, you know. It's like the mental stuff that you can't prove. And I, yeah, is are there any like um, tiny little ways around the law that like mentions anything about that that kind of abuse? They're claiming that they recognize it more, that they're more open to hearing about it. But I'm telling you, I—it's not what I see. Yeah, you know, yeah. I have a lot of clients who've been in a lot of different courts all over the world now. Mm-hmm. 
So uh, it's not, it's not easy to prove. There's still kind of like a, he said, she said, right. You know, it's hard to get documentation. Yeah. And that's why one of the, the things I tell my clients are right off the bat, whether they hire me or not, when we're talking, I tell them to keep a journal and document as much as you can. Um, because when you're writing con- contemporaneously, I think it's the word, right? In the day that it happened. Yeah. Instead of trying to Remember tell somebody something that happened a year ago or, right. you know, just if it's every day you're writing down, it's it's kind of hard to say, oh, they made all that up. Yeah, right, right, right. right. That's smart. That is a really smart Smart thing to do if you are stuck in one of these. Uh, I mean, it's it's really a tough spot. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have so for someone who is dealing with this? What are the first steps that you make to leave this person? Like for you, have you to be really strategic. You, did you ask for a divorce or personally, or or is that in like my a, case? Yeah. Is that too personal? Uh, there was, he was never good. Okay. I'm so old <laughs> that when I got my divorce, New York was not a no fault state. Mm. So I had to, I went to a lawyer and just yeah. to go, to, this is how controlled I was just to, and I was, I had my own money. Like I earned money, but I had no, no, uh, access to it. He had access to your money. All of my my money, and I was a freelance writer, so my checks would come in the mail mm-hmm. at the end of a project, and I was not allowed to take the check. He would take the check and deposit it into his account, and then I would have to pretty much beg, beg for money. For, to yeah. get your money. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm oh educated. I went to college. I like, you know, yeah. I come from a decent family. This is like, this is not some, you know... This happened to me, yeah. and that's why no, I yeah. love. Even in, before I became made a living out of this, I told everybody who would listen because I want. I, I I did volunteer work for the Coalition Against Domestic Violence. You know, they would make me talk to groups, talk like this can happen to your sister, your daughter, your neighbor, your you know it, to anyone. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 so ubiqu- ubiquitous and and hidden at the same time. You yeah. know. So just for me to go talk to a lawyer, the hoops I had to jump through, first of all, I, we were down to one car because uh-huh. although there was lots of money, he, he hated to part with it. So bills were never paid. Yeah. And uh, he wanted to buy what he wanted to buy. But, you know, a car payment, that wasn't sexy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. So... Car payments wouldn't get made. A car was repossessed in the middle of the night. Oh, this is a great one. So um, I see flashlights coming into the bedroom window mm-hmm. in the middle of the night, and I wake him up, mm-hmm. and he looks out. They really do like, that. Oh. They really take it in the middle of the night. Is it always the middle of the night? I've just... <laughs> I've never had a car repossessed before. I don't know. <laughs> and I and it was, of course, the car I drove, like my car. Yeah. And, I'm like, and then he didn't pay. And it's not... I mean, it was my money that he would have paid it with. Right. He just right. felt like he was paying for it for me. I was earning the money. He was just in charge of paying for everything. Yeah, right. Um, charge. So, <laughs> so um, I'm like, you know, and he's like, oh, they're coming to repossess the car. Not a surprise to him because he knows he's three months or four months, but exactly. whatever. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. And so he writes a check 
And he gives it to me. He goes, go give them this check. I'm like, it's, it's March in Southampton, New York, freezing cold and middle of the night. And they're what I assume are thugs taking my car on a flatbed. <laughs> and I'm like, me, you know, in my, in my robe, yeah. like, you want me to go talk to the people repossessing the car? He's like, be more sympathetic with a woman. And he like, and oh. I did it like an idiot. Yeah, of like course. Like an idiot. Of course. So I go out and they're like the nicest people in the world. They're like, sorry, ma'am, we can't take money. We're just here to take the car. Do you want to take anything out of it before we go? <laughs> oh, my God. I didn't have a car. That was all to get to this point where I don't have a car. Right. We have one car now. And he takes it, even though I'm still paying for it completely. Right. He, I didn't know at the time. He pretended to be making money. He, he wasn't was making any money at all. He was a landlord. And I always fought with him over this, that I didn't believe his buildings were making as much money as he claimed they did. But he kept it so convoluted and, and uh, hard. You couldn't decipher. There were all these liens and bills Stuff. and violations and yeah. uh whatever that I, and he got a lot of the rent in cash cause he was kind of a slumlord. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> he had me convinced that his buildings created way more income than my job, what I earned. So his needs always took precedence over mine because he was really the breadwinner when actually I was the sole breadwinner, right. his buildings actually, when I, when the dust settled during the divorce, they made no money. They were like, bleeding money every month so (laughs) i was supporting all everything and his buildings and everything but when i started figuring this out and getting nosier about what was going on and wanting answers he would become more abusive because he didn't want me finding out um so i had no car so to go to a lawyer i had to wait till he was going to be gone for the day right because he worked work didn't work from home right and um I had to borrow a car from a friend I had to find three hundred dollars which back then to me was like hard to yeah steal away three hundred dollars so I'd been taking like as much as I could from for months and get to this lawyer's of your own money of my own money. Yeah. So horrible. all behind his back to go to a lawyer who, when I told him what was going on, said, well, you don't have grounds for divorce, but don't worry, sooner or later, he'll hurt you and then come back and see me. Oh. Huh. Oh. That's, that's <laughs> beautiful. That's really. Do you know, I mean, I remember just like, I was so devastated. That makes like, you want to cry like right now. That's... Right? I had worked so hard just to, to get to this lawyer thinking this was the, my, the beginning of, of my freedom from this. Oh, and it was just God. like, go away. Sooner. Go help. back and suffer some more. Until he, until he, <sighs> Lord. Oh, but he was right. Ultimately he was right. When I kept making boundaries and I kept digging and um, getting answers and figuring out like where the money was and where the money wasn't and how much debt there was that I didn't even realize. And wow. um, It was really scary. It was big numbers that I could never, ever. And you're just keeping it a secret, just keeping it all a secret. It was all, I put everything in my name. So the debt was mine. Oh my God. No, that is. (laughs) 
Um, that, so this we is financial so. abuse. This is financial yeah, abuse. Totally financial abuse. Um, so Jesus. I drew a line in the sand. Uh-huh. I mean, first I went to therapy and he didn't like that. I was going to say, what do you think of that? Well, <laughs> I had tried to get him to marriage counseling, but you know, like that was not his problem. I was the one with the problem. I should be the one going to therapy, not mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. But actually when I first said, I made an appointment for us to go to a, I called the marriage counselor. She's like, I can't work with just you. It's couples. Like, you know, you have to get him to come in with you for me to help you. Right. So I reluctantly told him I'd made this appointment for us. And of course, his first question was, who did you get this person's name from? Who knows this? Who are you talking to? Right. Right. It wasn't about, oh my God, my wife thinks we need marriage Marriage counseling. counseling. It was like, like, who knows that there's some reason for me to be looking for help. Right. Looking for help. Yeah. So I, I went to a therapist at that point. I got a little bit stronger and I started drawing the line in the sand and going, I'm keeping my money. I open the way it, it played out. It was like everything that could go wrong did go wrong. I knew I had to. Oh, oh the, the straw that broke the camel's back was I went to file um, a, a medical claim for one of my kids mm-hmm. and it came back that it, we weren't covered. The, the insurance had lapsed and they wouldn't pay it. Uh-huh. And that was the straw that broke the camel's back for me. It was automatically deducted from an account he had uh, sole access to. Right. So he had stopped the automatic payments. They said it hadn't been paid in six months and it was lapsed and it was like a coverage that I had gotten from an old job or something. And I couldn't reinstate it. Mm-hmm. Right. I, it was like, now you have to go find other insurance. You're out. We're so happy you're out because we didn't want you because right. you were getting a deal. Right. So I confront him and he goes, well, I didn't have the money. I needed it for something else. So I'm like, there is nothing more important. There is nothing more important to me. We had three small children. Yeah. And it was like, I will not live this. I, that was when I put my foot down and like, you're and it's like, okay, okay. You do all the, uh, in, you go investigate, find the insurance that you want because we couldn't get this one back. And I'll, I'll make sure next month I have the money to pay it. So I like an idiot, believe him. I do all the legwork. I find out all the information. I get the best deal. I go to him. I tell him what it's going to be. The next month comes. Oh, I don't have it this month. The next month, the next month comes. I don't have it. He's never going to give it to me. He's never going to give it to me. Yeah. So I decided I had to do it myself. And that was what motivated me. The stupid health insurance. That was what lit me up to to finally end this. It's that mom thing. Uh, Yeah, your child. I'm so eternal. It's like. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's, there is nothing more important. That's. Right. You're not going to mess with my babies, you know? (laughs) I mean, I had been sick as a kid and if my parents hadn't had health insurance, you know, my life would have been very, very different. Yeah. And it really struck a nerve with me. No, that's, that's, that's huge. That's like just basic stuff when you're a parent, you know, very, it's basic. Right. So I went to great lengths to hide my next paycheck where he always knew when my next check was coming. At first he would ask me, but even if he didn't ask, he could see by the, my workflow that I was finished a project and he knew uh-huh. a check was coming and he uh-huh. knew pretty much how much they usually were for. Yeah. So of course we couldn't get mail at our house 
because the process servers would be able to find our him if we had numbers on the house. So he took the numbers off the house and removed the mailbox. This is insanity. Because there were always process servers looking for us. So we had to get mail at the post office. This man, so my lord. Uh, every day, of course, I'm with the kids. He would go get the mail. Mm-hmm. And this, I knew that I had to intercept this check. Mm-hmm. So I would get up early and tell him I was going for a run. Mm-hmm. Really, you know, when I knew the mail was coming. And I would go and look every day. And every day when it wasn't there, I put all the mail back and... He never knew I'd been there. And then the day it came, I intercepted it and I hid it until I could take it and go open an account with it. It was like $6,000, which was a ton of money, a ton of money. And this is a lot, I mean, yeah, it no, is a ton of money, but this was a lot yeah. of years ago. Right. And I literally was like this, like my hands were shaking. No, the, I, I was so scared. so scary just living through this, you telling this. It's terrifying that you would have to, that, that's, that was your real life and that breaks my heart. That was my, my heart, real life. This is not a movie. Like, I was that, terrified that he was going to find this. Yeah. And then, um, so I take it to a bank that is not any bank we've ever used uh-huh. and I deposit it and I've done this all behind his back and I'm so proud of myself and I've got all the health insurance lined up and all I have to do is wait for this check to clear Back in those days, like you had to wait for a check to clear like yeah. 10 days or something. <laughs> and I'm all set. And then um, he comes into where I worked in the house and he shoves a piece of paper in front of my face one day uh-huh. while I'm waiting. And it's a notice from this new bank addressed to me mm-hmm. at the P.O. box saying, oh, thank you for this deposit. Here is when the funds will be available. Oh, my God. Right. Oh. He went ballistic, took all the bills for all of his buildings and everything else and threw them at me. And like, I'm never giving you another penny. You know, you want to be in control. You do everything. I'm never, you know, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So um, when the check did clear, though, it gets worse. The funds were frozen. So I couldn't access them because there was a cell phone that he had put in my name that I didn't even know about. Mm. And there was a lien on my name. And you know what he said? See how stupid you are? You see how stupid you are? You'd have no idea how to do this. You have no idea how to handle money. Now you don't have anything. Now we don't even have that $6,000 because of you. Uh, my God. I'm so that is financial abuse. Yeah, that's disgusting. And I'm so, so sorry that you had to go through that. I'm not, though. I, I'm not. I'm yeah. not sorry at all because I never, ever would have been as strong or had such a meaningful life now. Yeah. If I hadn't gone through and I mean think about all the people you know who have something to say who have meaningful lives who who have something to teach they had to suffer they had they They went through it they had to go through it they had to overcome something Mm -hmm. so their life is that much richer 
and more meaningful and they have more to offer. So I think of it as like the greatest gift. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of, I look at, um, my like past suffering and, you know, growth kind of similarly, you know, strong, strong women. (laughs) Um, I'm so glad one, you're out of that relationship and you have a healthy relationship with your kids and you're thriving. Um, how did you start? How did, so how did you, congratulations on your, um, you know, success, business success. Oh, thank you. How did, how did you start that? Like we were copywriters, you know, um, how did you go from corporate world to a life of meaning? <laughs> well, or, even you know. even when I was still in the corporate world, mm. I did volunteer work. Right, right. Decade, you mentioned. Right? You mentioned. That's how it started because oh. when I started getting stronger, um, like I said, I knew I had to help other people by putting a face to this and saying it could be you. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, you're not immune to this. Uh-huh. Um, just because you think, oh, I live in the suburbs right. and like, you know, or whatever. No, right. like this happens. Um, so I went to work for the Coalition Against Domestic Violence as a volunteer and I spoke. And um, then I, at some point I just wanted to do more it, besides just telling my story. So I wanted to really be in the trenches and help people who were really abused. Mm-hmm. So um, I went through a training period with them. It was like a year long training of um, learning how to coach victims in the hospital who showed up from a domestic violence incident. Wow. So um, I had that little window of time with them in the hospital, in the emergency room where the the abuser, if he was there at all, and it was not all, there were, there were men too, boys. Um, Christ. um, The, the abuser wasn't allowed in. Uh Uh-huh. So it was a very tight window. Right. And I got to really hone these skills. I mean, I didn't do it in anticipation of having a career doing it, but that's uh-huh. where I learned how to how to help people who are have been so um, brainwashed. Right. Brainwashed is the correct word for it. So, uh, and it was so meaningful. So here I was commuting mm-hmm. <laughs> into New York and yeah. working at a, you know, relatively demanding job. Yes. Um, and all week, Monday through Friday, and then I would sign up to be on call all weekend because I couldn't get enough of it. It was right. so it was filling me up so much. It was getting I was really losing interest in that corporate job and this was so fulfilling. And then there came a point where I was like, okay, I've got to figure out how to quit my job and make this my career. Yeah, this yeah. is what I really that want is to the do. Move. That's the move. <laughs> the dream. Yeah. So that's how and why. And you did it. I, I did it. Um, I, I got some life, life coaching certifications and um, I took the training that I had. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, all of the, my own research and right, right, you know, and the self promotion uh, and all the and getting clients and all that stuff, which is like that's a whole different thing. And the social media and the <laughs> well, it's been. I mean, I, I work. I always worked for myself I mean, before the corporate job. I was a freelance writer, so I worked mm-hmm. for myself. I had my own business, but I, I mean, I started an online business. Yeah. 
at the ripe old age of, I think when I started it, I was like 56, you know, it was like, no, it's so cool. What? It's so cool. <laughs> oh my God. I love it so much. I'm so, so I've learned a lot. It is like, it's very challenging, mm-hmm. but it is so fulfilling. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, no, that's amazing. it's a whirlwind. It's, <laughs> I'm so, so happy for you. That oh, thank you. This is where you are and what you're doing and you're helping people and you're helping me and you're helping everybody listening to this. And it's just, thank you, Victoria. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for giving me this platform to, um, to reach maybe some new people. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get some, I'll, I'll, um, post a link to your services, your website. Thank you. Of course. Of course. Thank you. But you know, I also have a lot of free content that, um, yeah, that I follow, think could be but, really helpful. I'll put, I'll post all the links on all the things. Don't worry. I Great. got you, Victoria. Oh, well, this is so nice. You haven't changed at all a bit, not even a bit since what, like 2012, 13, you are a strong woman, beautiful, <laughs> Thank you. charismatic, Maybe happier and happier <laughs> than I was back then. You you are happier. You are. <laughs> you do seem much happier. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. This has been. Well, thank you. A really and I love what you're doing, and I, I'm very proud of you. And and um, yeah, I wish yeah. you all the best. <laughs> thank you, Victoria. Okay. Um, okay. Bye, listeners. Bye.